Sometimes I think people figure what I think, what I feel, what I know, that's good enough. I ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You can get your theology from a lot of places. I think some people get it from the Bible, the cereal Bible, or from Anne Landers, or someplace else. I've learned that there's a theologian in just about everybody. And when you ask somebody a theological question, and their first response is, well, here's what I think. I'm surprised I don't hear it. Wrong answer. What we suppose, what we've been told, sometimes custom and tradition count more with some people than Scripture. If the Bible says a thing, we need to go with that. If the Bible says a thing, we ought to go with that. It's still true. But you know, I just don't know. I think I can get away with quoting the Cherokee cowboy here, can I? Got a lot of folks that are a little bit Cherokee. As a fella, I don't know if he's still in this world or not, Ray Price. And he sang a song, probably sold a lot of copies of it. Lord, this time you gave me a mountain. People say, I don't have to worry about that. Because, you know, the Lord won't lay on you more than you can handle. There are people who will swear on a stack of Bibles. That's what the Bible teaches. The Lord won't give you more than you can handle. I used to hear that. I used to believe that was in the Bible. But there's a kicker to that. We forget that we are nothing. We're as dust. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to look at verse 12. Some people only read a chunk of this and think they got the whole enchilada. But they're wrong. There had no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. In other words, you got troubles? Sure. You go back in time 500 years ago, folks had troubles. You go back before that, they still had trouble. You look at the Bible, what sounds like us? Yeah. You read in the New Testament, you read in the Old Testament, some people loved the Lord and were sold out to Him. But they were few and far between. A lot of them talked just enough religion 
and make it sound like they were pretty good on Sunday morning. Things really haven't changed a whole lot with folks. So if you get a temptation, and, oh, I have so many troubles. Guess what? We all have troubles. We all have disappointments. We all have regrets. We all mess up. That's part of what our experience has been. I taught history most of my adult life, and uh, folks mess up. <coughs> if give in to temptation. We talk about Samson giving in to Delilah, but lots of Delilahs today, and lots of Samsons too. The second part of that verse, God is faithful. You believe that? We talked about Sunday school this morning. God is faithful. God stays with the stuff. God doesn't vacillate. He doesn't vary. He is the same all the time. He is holy in everything He says and does. We need to know that. He doesn't have off days. He doesn't have mood swings or anything like that. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. And people stop right there. See, see, that proves it. God won't put on you more than you can handle. I want you to know that a lot of well-meaning people probably still believe that. But like one song said, it ain't necessarily so. I want to show you from God's Word that no matter how horrific things can become, how troubled you may be, how distressed you may find yourself, you might find yourself between the sword and the wall as a, I'm in a, I'm in a no-win situation. A lose-lose scenario. How can I do the right thing? If this happens, I'm going to mess up this way. And if this happens, I'm going to have trouble there. What am I going to do? I just don't know what to do. Well, I've got news for you. There is a great truth in this passage. He will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you're able how am I going to make it, Lord? Do I have to muster up enough strength? Do I have to put on my thinking cap? Do I need to enroll the help of my buddies or use my bank account? Or how am I going to get through this? No matter how much help you have, no matter how smart or strong or spiritual you suppose you are, you will probably if you haven't already, be confronted by something that will crush you. You will die in your tracks in and of yourself. How's God going to vouchsafe His promise? There's a thing called grace. People say, I have sinned! Yeah, you have. Thanks be to God, it says, where sin abounds, grace did much more about God is greater than any trouble you've ever had and ever will have. 
You gotta know that. You might be in the hospital bed, flat on your back. And the doctors are scratching. I don't know what's wrong. I want you to know. No matter what tight you might be in, no matter what struggles might occupy you, there is a way of escape. But you might not see it coming. It might just come from no place at the same way. God has a way of coming through just in time. He comes through with His grace in such a way. It's God that gets you through those tights. It's God who comforts. It's God who provides. It says He will with the temptation also make a way to escape. Don't say you're going to figure it out. Doesn't say the Lone Ranger's going to come over the hill and save the day. No, the Lord will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The Bible teaches us that our lifestyles have consequences. The very first psalm tells us about the righteous and the ungodly. They have their own mind. The unrighteous do, the wrong heart, they move in the wrong direction, and they have the wrong ending. The righteous, though, have the right mind, the right heart. They move in the right direction, and they wind up with a great destination. We were talking, again, Sunday school. Um, we are talking about the fact that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If your mind is taken up with the carnal, the fleshly things, you're moving in the wrong direction. You have the wrong frame of reference. Something wrong with your thinker. Something wrong with your feeler. That's a problem. And of course, Galatians 6, 7 tells us, as we sow, we reap. Sometimes we have to make tough choices. This week, the kiddos in VBS study vacation Bible school about Daniel and what's recorded in the book of Daniel. In chapter 1, he was purposed in his heart. In chapter 3, he had three friends. We know them as Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want you to know, they were called before the king, and the king said, Now you might not have got the memo, but you see that big old statue? You see this orchestra? They're going to play the music. And my royal edict is, when you hear that music, you bow. Because if you don't bow, you're going to burn. And he turns to his conductor, and the conductor's getting ready to have a play, and the young man said, you don't even need to play. Because we... They were also purposed. They said, we cannot bow. What you want us to do is a violation of the way we are determined to honor God. Well, if they do that, they're going to burn up. If you throw us in the fire, God can get us through. They didn't say, we're going to find an extinguisher. We're going to find an escape. We're going to, we're going to just think happy thoughts. No! If it's the Lord's will that we burn, we're going to burn. 
We're okay with that. Sometimes doctors say, if we don't this, do this, you're going to die. And sometimes people panic. Oh, oh, guess what? Most people who live all of this history have died. The Lord doesn't come first. You're going to die too. I'm going to die. We need to know that that's so. Somebody says, hey, get over it. Well, it's going to happen whether you, quote, get over it or not. We need to know that. And to some people, I'm going to save my skin no matter what. And instead of saying with conviction, we will not bow. We will not bend. They said, if God wants us to burn up, we're going to burn up. You're going to threaten us with heaven? You don't think the way we think, Mr. King. But we're not going to defile ourselves. We're not going to dishonor our God. Sometimes people say, I'm going to know in a situation you can be prepared. You know, the Boy Scouts always said, be prepared. And the bottom of the U.S. Coast Guard, unless they've changed this, is Semper Paratus. Always prepared. So I want you to be prepared. For you see, the Lord's way is right. We started in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go to his other Corinthian letter, 2 Corinthians. In chapter 12, Paul relates some of his experience. Paul had troubles. You think you got troubles? I think I got troubles. Paul went through so much stuff and took so much guff for so many years, from so many directions. Fellow Jews hated his guts. Religious leaders hated his guts. Heathen people hated his guts. There wasn't a big Paul appreciation group there. But Paul knew that there was a reason why he was going through things. When things happen to us, we go, oh, I don't see how this could happen. Why would God let this happen to me? And you know what? Don't ever forget Romans 8, 28. Even the tough times, the things that seem insurmountable, they happen for a reason. And God is in control. Instead of bemoaning circumstances, know that God did this for His glory and for the good of His precious people. Start at verse 7 here in 2 Corinthians 12. This is Paul telling us what was going on in his mind, in his heart. What was his perspective? And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. You know, God told me a lot of stuff. Some people, they think, I must be special because God told me a lot of stuff. You need to tell that person, you know, God has given every one of us every word that we need to focus on. Yeah, yeah it's right here in the Bible. Open your Bible and read it. And let these things sink in, as Jesus said. <clears throat> And so Paul says, one of the reasons God did this was to keep me from having a big head. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. 
Who or what was the thorn of the flesh? You can look at eight different Bible commentaries and probably get eight different explanations. I can't say definitively, but it was something that dogged Paul. It bugged him. It bugged him a lot. He calls it the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You know, I'm sitting pretty. I'm fat and satisfied. I'll tell you what, I am everything in a bag of chips, like one guy in Little Rock said. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, not just once or twice, three times. He says, Lord, I'm begging you, change the situation. Take this thorn away. And it might have been some snarky person getting at it, trying to get his goat. Well, my goat got got a long time ago. You know, we take ourselves way more seriously than we ought to many times. And I said, we, not just ye, it's me too. Three times he says, Lord. It would be so much easier. It would be so much more efficient. And we always try to design these things. My buddy in high school said, Lord, give me a motorcycle so I can take more people to church. So if you want to take people to church, why don't you ask the Lord for a station wagon? And he wanted his motorcycle. Well, that's another story. Three times Paul said, take it away. I want to serve you. I could be so much better that I might depart, it might depart from me. And he, the Lord, responded to that prayer. It probably wasn't what Paul was hoping to hear. You know, he said, Oh, Lord, now work this out this way and that way. And we think God is just the genie of the bottle. Now, Lord, I'm going to pray about this. And so you got to do it. I, I, you won't be God if you don't do this. Who are you to tell God what He ought to do? Since when did you sign up for the job of God's counselor? And He, this is what the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I play back recordings of some of my sermons is that, oh man, I split an infinitive there. Shame, shame, shame. My English teacher would have a problem with that. Or I, I fumbled here or I dropped the ball there. You know what? I'm human. I make mistakes. I leave stuff out. And if, for example, that's why I have any announcements because I might forget. I might not quite appreciate the seriousness of a situation. I, I'm not above getting a word. Please be kind to me because I have feelings too. But uh, your friend is not the person who's a yes man. Just patch up like, that was good. Uh, could have done better myself. Your friend is a person, especially when they come to you with the Bible, well, you said this, but the Bible says that. That's my friend. The one that says you need to temper what you say by what God has said in His Word because He takes precedence. Well, I think, you know, going back to that, I think theology stuff, look out, that's a problem. 
See, God knows everything about us. The 139th Psalm says, He knows my down sitting and my uprising. He understands my thought afar off. You might be daydreaming. Like the girl that just was thinking about her daddy's truck in the middle of the history lecture. It happens. It happens. I like to quote Job 23.10. Job said, I'm, He knoweth the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know, gold's not cheap stuff. You got something made out of gold and you're tired of having it? I'm sure there's something to be glad to take it off your hands. I guarantee you. We know the nature of the Lord. He will see things through. He's too wise to make a mistake. Many scriptures that I could marshal about that, but our time, of course, is a limitation. And, of course, if you don't go to the Lord, who are you going to go to? There's an expression I've heard a lot here in Arkansas, and i got to say I like it. In Isaiah 46, real minded something about our God. It's not uh, like on, what was it? Uh, let's make a deal. Somebody, oh, I need a God. Well, I got door number one, door number two, door number three. No, ain't but one choice. There's only one God. If you don't like the God of this book, you're up a creek because he is the only one. So they said, let's go to Isaiah. Yes. 46. And this is my first pastor, you say, this is God speaking. Well, yeah, it is. So, pay attention. Verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. And he goes on to explain what he's talking about there in the following verses. As some of our friends at Little Rock say, and I have to repeat, he is God all by himself. The devil is not a substitute for God. Michael the archangel is not a substitute for God. No human who is claimed to be a prophet of God is a substitute for God. No preacher who stands in this or any of the pulpit is a substitute for God. Hear the word of the Lord. Know what God has said. He is God all by Himself. And it shouldn't surprise us that the wise man Solomon in Ecclesiastes says there's no new thing under the sun. You think you've got troubles? Your, your mind is all perplexed. You're taking... How's God going to work this thing out? You know what? That's God's business. That's why I mentioned in Sunday school, we get Deuteronomy 29, 29. Some things God has told us. Flat out. It's here in the Word. But we wonder, what if 
this. God didn't say anything. I wonder, guess what? There's some stuff we can't handle. There's some stuff we don't need to go there. God will take care of heavy lifting. But the things He has told us. Peter Marshall's this Peter Marshall used to say, some people wonder about some passages of Scripture that we can't explain. My trouble is with the ones that I can't explain and they are oh so clear. We, we choke on those things. You know, how many angels could dance on the head of a pin? Why is that so important? Did Adam have a belly button? I don't know. And I really don't care. I've been in a lot of ordinations. I've never had a potential preacher ask, okay, last question. Did Adam have a belly button? No. Don't waste time with foolish questions like that. Don't go there. We've got enough to keep us busy right here. James 1 tells us that God is not the author of temptation. So I want to give you some illustrations from the Scripture. I've told you already, back in Genesis 22, it tells us that God told Abram, this is your son. All the promises, all the blessings are going to be transmitted. As you pass, they'll go through Isaac. That's the one. This is your special son. Focus on him. Okay, got it. And then in chapter 22, God comes, the same God comes to the same man, Abraham, and tells about that same son, Isaac, take your son, your only son, Isaac. You sacrifice him. And Abraham knew exactly what God was saying. Take your knife, plunge it in, burn the carcass as a sacrifice. He said, well, if you said this, you couldn't have said that because I just can't fathom that. I can't get my little brain to figure out how they could both be true. Scripture tells us he's staggered not in unbelief. If God said this, it's true. If God said this, it's true. They're both true. How can that be? I don't know. That's God's business. Amen. But sometimes we choke on A or we choke on B they said, well, if I do this, let's just see what happens. God's too wise to make a mistake. He's not going to paint himself into a corner. And as we know from the story, Abraham was already at the fire and the knife and the rope and the child. And he was prepared. His confidence was, he's the God of this promise and this promise. God said that's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, maybe God's going to raise him from the dead. But that's God's business. My job is to obey God. Your job is to obey God. My job is to obey God. We forget that sometimes. We get worried about this and worried about that. Well, God's going to make all night. He's got the whole thing figured out. Mm -hmm. Cut him some slack. No. Don't even put it that way. But that's how we think sometimes. But what did God do? There was a ram in the thicket. And you think God just miraculously 
created that ram and stuck it there at the last minute? No. I don't know how many months or years before that little ram was born as a little rambling or whatever they call him, a goat leg, and he grew up. Probably didn't have a clue that he was going to work and get mentioned in Scripture. But that ram was in that place at that time for that purpose. God knew all about that. And he tells Abraham, and Abraham says, Lord, I hear and I obey. That's how God operates. You're not really operating by faith if you say, I got the picture right in front of me. We walk by faith, not by sight. Can you appreciate that? Go ahead and please to 1 Samuel chapter 21. Was David God's chosen? Some of us would agree, yes. He certainly was. Whether you say so or not, he was. So, a kind of a lowball question there, but he was. 1 Samuel chapter 21. I want you to see something here. See, David was hunted like a dog by his own father-in-law, his king Saul. Saul was a real grief to David. David twice had opportunity. He could have killed Saul, but he didn't. Saul is closing in on him. And so David knows nowhere else to go. But uh, start at verse 10, 1 Samuel 21. David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. He goes over to the other side. Now as long as Achish is fighting against some other heathen, David was a valiant warrior. He more than earned his keep. But you know what? Sometimes the easy times come to an end and you realize now I'm in it tight. For you see, David in Achish's army is told, now we're going against Saul. How could I take out my sword against the Lord's anointed? I... If I obey Achish, I'm going against what I believe God would have me to do. But if I don't, Achish will probably decide it's time to get rid of David. I don't know what to do. I'm going to lose-lose scenario. No, you're not. God gave David a way of escape. Did the angel come down and take the problem away? No. God gave David what we might call a witty invention. The servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances? And Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David laid up these words in his heart. This is getting to David. What am I going to do? How's God going to bring me through this? And was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. God gave David a solution. And of David it says that he changed his behavior before him. David put on a little play. 
They talked about Laurence Olivier and Charlton Heston being great actors. David put on a performance of his life. Here was the valiant David who had stood boldly before Goliath. Well, I get ready to go to battle against Saul. And David got kind of goofy, if you know what I mean. He started drooling on himself and hanging on the sides of the doorway. <laughs> what is the matter with this guy? You say, you're making that preacher. No, it's right here. And he changed his behavior and feigned himself mad, not angry, crazy. He was a turn into a nut job. Feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate. Instead of marching boldly out, he just went on, hung on acted really weird. And let his spittle fall down upon his beard. You know, one thing about having a beard, you get stuff in it. You can always tell what Marsha's serving for dinner if you come to our house. Because uh, sometimes I have some for later. You can relate to that, can't you, Tuck? That's the way it works. You uh, unshaven fellows, you, it falls on your shirt or whatever. We have a little buffer so our shirts don't get so dirty. Isn't that wonderful? Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad. <laughs> Bring this cuckoo guy in here for. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need a madman that you brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Now how did David know to do that? By the way, if you're here on Sunday afternoons, we've been going through the Psalms. If you read Psalm 34, that's the Psalm that David wrote after his experience. If you have a Bible that tells you that in the introduction, that's just a little help there too. David was thankful that God gave him that sense. And so he said, well, you know, David, he, he was a sinner like the rest of us. Well, let me show you an example to close from the Lord Himself in John chapter 8. You're never going to paint God into a corner. We ask questions. We, we had a question in Sunday school. What if, what, if, what if this? Well, what if Jesus sinned? That's boring blasphemy because He did not, He would not, He could not. But what if He did? Don't ask that question. It's a foolish question to ask. You believe God's word, that's that's not so. In John chapter 8, Jesus was teaching one night, <clears throat> and it tells us that the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman taken in adultery. Now, had she committed adultery or not? I'm not sure. I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with this woman except I'm reading what it says in Scripture. And so in verse 5, this now Moses in the law said, This woman ought to be stoned. What do you say? And sometimes people will put you on the spot. Now, what do you say? Like a preacher in Florida used to say, Now, do you agree with me? Or was God lying? 
How do you answer that? Instead of saying anything, Jesus wrote something in the sand. Would you like to know what he said? So would I. The Lord hasn't seen fit to tell me what it is. That's one of those Deuteronomy 29 things. You don't need to go there. So let's get back to the text. And so, they kept asking him. He finally stands up and he says, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Who there knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this woman had indeed committed adultery? Let's assume for the sake of argument that she had committed adultery. Who there knew? They didn't bring the man in. They said, this woman was taken in adultery. So who is there to witness against this woman? You know, sometimes in Sunday school, they say the answer is always Jesus. This time it is. Jesus was the only one there who knew absolutely whether or not this woman had committed adultery. Now, he could have said, well, I know she committed adultery, but he also knew what centuries earlier Moses had been told in the law. The witness of two or three witnesses was required. There wasn't another there to bring the charge against the woman. All these rascals, these scoundrels, they want to put Jesus to the test. And there's some people today who want to put the Lord to the test. Well, let's just see how God's going to work this thing out. Don't think you're going to tempt God. Don't be like the devil who said, whoosh, take your political thimble. Go ahead and jump off. See if God bailed you out. He said, the Bible also says you don't tempt the Lord your God. See, God knows what's in his book. He knows better than all of us combined. Though. And so, we learn a lot by what Jesus didn't say or do. But we do look at what he did say and do. When he asked, after they'd all left, woman, where are your accusers? She said, there's no one. Neither indeed do I condemn you. And some people stop there. See, ain't no big thing. Oh, it was a big thing. If she had committed adultery, that was a sin. It was wrong. But the Lord said, Neither indeed do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't tell her, Hey, business as usual. Just go back to your old lifestyle. No. He told her to go. He allowed her to pass. But he also said, sin no more. That's the way our God is. Don't be like old Peter, who thought so much of himself. In Luke 22, Jesus turned to Peter, so full of himself. Oh, I'm so spiritual. I'm so far. I'm past James and John and all the rest. I am your super saint, Lord. If anybody's in your corner, it's me. The Lord says, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat, turn you up and down and all around. That sounds pretty bad. If you were experiencing that from the devil, you'd say, I lost, 
I'm helpless, I'm undone. And that's the problem when people say, you're not going to have any trouble greater than you can handle. Only because it's the Lord by His grace that comes through in time of need. He is there. He has a care. He did prepare. That's part of the reason why we talked about prevenient grace. The devil might think he's got you set up. The world might say, ha, 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 we've got him now. Your old flesh might be plotting. But God is wiser than the devil, the world, and the flesh. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if you ever feel like you're in a no-win situation, it might not go the way you would expect. It might not go away that you're comfortable with in your own mind. But just remember who's really calling the shots. And resign yourself to the will of God. Because there is a way of escape provided by God. In His wisdom, with His power, by His grace. Could we sing with